Welcome to Millennial Murmurs, a podcast addressing millennial career questions, queries, and curiosities to help them navigate the jungle of the modern working world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast on the topic of career changes. I'm your host, Nathan, and today my guest is Dean McBride. Dean is the founder of McBride Law, a solo family practice based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Our paths crossed during a virtual recording of a session on personal branding, and Dean has a really great, interesting story, so I'm really delighted to have him on the show sharing it with you today. Also, just a note, all views are his own. Dean, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nathan. It's nice to talk with you again. You too. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's funny during COVID and everything like that, having uh, all of these virtual connections and uh, and experiences. So um, and it's kind of cool the way you get to meet loads of different people. So um, I'm I'm pleased our our paths crossed in in that way. And um, I'd love for you just to share a bit about your your kind of background and, and career journey with the audience, if if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I want to acknowledge, too, that it, it's really exciting during a time when we're thinking about being locked down that I've made a new friend, you know, and and <laughs> and, and I, I think that's a great way to kind of think about work and life. And when I, I you, you asked about my story and and I don't know that I've ever felt locked down for long. You know, there's always yeah. some some crazy thing to do. So I, I guess you mean by my story, do you sort of mean like my work story, my career story? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, all, I mean, and, you know, I, I've, I've known you for a couple of months now. And, um, yeah, anything you think is, is sort of interesting that's kind of impacted your career journey, I guess. Well, you know, I, I was thinking about your, um, you know, your audience and, and speaking a lot to millennials and millennial issues. And, you know, I'm not a millennial, but I, I've been that age before, you know, whatever age the millennials are right now, I've been <laughs> it, you know, and uh, there have been so many interesting, amazing things that have happened in a, in a crazy life. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll just kind of run through a list as they pop into my head starting, you, you know, I, I, um, instead of going to college, I went into the military. So I served in the military, then I came back and then I had to find a job and no one would hire me. And I finally started as a typist at an insurance company. And over time I worked myself up to be a director and um, I had 25% of the company under me, but then I left that to go be a nightclub singer in New York. Uh, While I'm doing (laughs) that, of course, I'm having to make a living. Uh, So I ended up, um, so, you know, as a nightclub singer, I I, I did cabarets and I I did a a lot of touring events. And, you know, I, I, now that I'm a lawyer, I tell everyone I'm the only uh, licensed attorney in the state of New Mexico that's had backup dancers. So, you know, I've done that. (laughs) And, um, you know, while I was trying to make a living, I produced events for national brands like Absolute, and um, and uh, I was the, the the executive director of the 25th anniversary of the rainbow flag. And so we worked with the creator of the rainbow flag to make this huge rainbow flag that ran across Key West, 3,000 volunteers. It was crazy. I'm doing that. Um, 
I, I, uh, I decided to become a yoga teacher. So I study at an ashram in New York, get my yoga certificate and start teaching. And then I moved back to Albuquerque and I opened a business consultancy doing, um, organizational behavioral change. And then I open a yoga teaching academy and then I go and work for Apple uh, as a trainer. And then I go to law school and now I'm a divorce lawyer. So it's been this crazy kind of (laughs) life that uh, sometimes makes my head spin, but it gives me, and a lot of that stuff happened you know, during that sort of the period where, where, you know, you and your your audience are now, so many of those changes happened during that time. Um, and that I lose track. So, you know, being my age, of course, we've all taken over Facebook. Sorry, sorry that we did that to you and glad everybody found someplace else to hang out. But, you know, when I post <laughs> something on Facebook, inevitably someone will say, wow, I remember when you were doing this thing or that thing, or you've been through so many changes or how is that happening? It must be insane. So it's been, it's been quite a ride actually. Absolutely. It's amazing. And there's things in there that I didn't even sort of really realize until you said them like from our connections. Um, And I've got like even more questions now to to ask. Um, So I guess let's start with, with, um, I think kind of I'm curious about, you know, what what took you into the military and then those initial career changes um, sort of pre-law, like what sort of was the key driver for you following those things? Wow. You know, I think for a lot of my, a lot of my life, even my younger life, it has been um, just trying to make water flow through rocks. You, you know, sort of looking for the path of least resistance. So as a young man, um, I had a complicated growing up experience and some things were really difficult. And so college wasn't really an option for me for, for lots okay. of reasons. And I didn't know what to do. Um, and uh, so I I enlisted in the Air Force. That's just my, was my solution to the problem. So I figured out how to do that. But once I was in it, uh, you know, I was a really young guy. I was 18 when I went in. I was 20, 22 when I got out. But in that four years, I found things that that were really right for me. And I, I sort of can see now the beginning of who I am today inside of that experience. So I went into the military and I was assigned a, a, to a, 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 an early warning radar site. And, we, you know, that's what we did. And I was supposed to be a repairman fixing parts. And I wasn't super great at it, but I was really great at coordinating all the logistics. So I ended up in this great job where I coordinated logistics. And then I ended up becoming the historian of the organization. And my way of writing the history as a really young man was to go interview people and find out what happened and find out what the management decisions were and what worked and what didn't work and how we could change it. And and I, I wrote these really complicated reports as a, as a young guy and I look back on that now and I see, oh yeah, there, there I was like all the time I was in that. So even though I didn't have this, this fantastic start of a, of a of good school and great opportunities, uh, I still think it was possible to find cool things to do. And so then from that, I, I took my military experience and I tried to find a job and same thing as water, water through rocks. And I finally found this little insurance company that hired me and they, they really just wanted a typist. 
And by then I'd been through so many job interviews and I tried saying like, I've coordinated this and I have written reports about that. And I have talked to NORAD and I have written this and nobody was interested. So I yeah. found this insurance company and they said, we just want a typist. I said, I can totally, I can be a typist. Well, you know, within a few years, I'd become really the equivalent of a vice president. I was running 25% of the company. I had all the customer services and uh, some of the claims and the billing and all these things in my area. And I can look at that and see how that connected to what I did before. And I can look at it now while I'm running my own practice. And I, I like, oh, there you are. I, I see you. You were there all the time too. So that's yeah. kind of been, I think that's sort of been the general bent of my story is I, I sort of stumble into something to do and then I figure out how it relates to everything else I've done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really interesting, um, all of that and how, I mean, I think about it in my own career journey so far and, um, you know, you kind of look back on sort of 10 years ago, whatever, and you think, wow, I was such a, a different person. And, um, you know, you see those kind of gross things. I remember as like a junior recruiter being sort of terrified of everything and, um, you know, not, not really knowing much and, you know, whether I know much now, who knows, but, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, you, those, those great things are interesting. And I think you always think it's going to be so purposeful, um, you know, the way that you make these decisions, the way things happen. But I kind of feel like as, as I'm going through this and I'm curious about your perception of this, that this just kind of, it is, it, it does seem to just happen. Like, I think you have to kind of have a certain plan in mind, but also be able to kind of go with the flow and, and roll with the punches and that whole, you know, rock and water analogy is just using. I think it's, it's sometimes just kind of trying to break through in a different way and it'll, it'll kind of happen. But I also am curious as well, do you think it's possible today? Like in my mind, it sometimes feels like things are so much more structured and defined um, you know, that the, there isn't that same fluidity in the workplace. Um, so I guess there's kind of two questions there, but I'm just, just wondering what, what you sort of think of that. Um, well, I, I think that oh, any workplace, even my own law firm, which is me, um, has rules and it has a way of being and it has a culture, you, you know, and, and <laughs> um, so, and, and I think you are sort of bound by that culture. Um, even if the culture is to be free thinking and kind of hippie, you, you know, you're sort of bound in that. Like if you show up as the guy who's not hippie at the hippie company, you're not following the rules. That's not our way. Right. right? So I think sometimes where what we're really defined by is culture and why we have such, um, uh, you know, why we feel such a, a great fit or we don't is that it's a cultural clash. Right. So, um, and then it, once you're inside of that culture, deciding do, do you maintain it, do you change it? And I guess that also can kind of create some some friction. So I think for some people, they find a culture that's very fixed and um, and that feels comfortable and it feels uh, stable and interesting and um, satisfying. For other people, they need a culture that... Uh, that gives them more room to move, more opportunities to change, more ways to make an influence. And so I, I agree with you that I think the workplace can have more rules, but 
those rules are cultural. And figuring that out is really hard. I also think it's why we, when we start a new job, we love it. We love our new job. We love our new boss. We love the new office. We love the snacks. We love it because we're kind of a tourist in the culture. But, you know, if you move to a country, and you know about this, right? If you move to a country, yeah. it's not exactly Hollywood. It's not exactly how it was in the movies. Um, you know, you have to turn on the electricity. I, I, I wanted once to move to Paris, and I ran around with a, a, a woman that I knew in Paris, and she was just telling me what she had gone through to have her gas connected. And I'm like, okay, I have to go home, you know, because I know how to turn on the gas at home. So I think we love a new job because we're tourists there. But then we move in and we have to turn the gas on and we have to find the grocery store. And, uh, and, and either that really works for you or it's really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's, like people are so key, I think, to the to the culture, um, you know, and that's why through processes and interview and everything, um, that sort of connectivity and and it's so hard in such a short amount of time to kind of feel out that you know if that works, if that connectivity is there, and ultimately it's going to be a a good thing for you. Um, so no, I think that's yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, we talked before, you know, my view of culture in the workplace is that culture is sort of the manifestation of values. So whatever it yeah. is that the company really believes in uh, enough to turn it into a policy or a procedure or a brochure or a website or whatever, uh, or some, a, a set of instructions, it, that, that, is how the culture becomes operationalized. And yeah. um, and again, I think that's how we start to feel out, oh, this is, I didn't think this was going to be like this. I, oh, hmm. oh, this is great. Oh, this is really hard. Yeah. And it's also so, um, it's, it, it's always moving. It's so fluid because you, you've got so many different cogs to that wheel um, in so many different forms, whether, you know, like yourself in a, in a, you are the culture, but you, you have all the external interactions as well as in, you know, giant organizations that have internal interactions. People are not on the same kind of cultural scale as, as everyone else. And so it's sort of always molding and changing. And I think it's really hard to identify. I've thought about this a lot. Um, you know, how you define a good culture or build a good culture and, I think it's things that are really intangible in some ways. And I, I mean, I find it really fascinating to still think about. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. Um, so what, what kind of led you ultimately then to decide to go to law school? Because that's a really big jump as well. And such a huge commitment. Um, yeah. What, what kind of led you to that? You know, I would be the worst inspirational speaker because I know people want me to say that, you know, I realize that our country is broken or our legal system needs help or there are disadvantaged people <laughs> and I need to jump in and speak up for the Constitution. But really, I had had a long life of living in nonprofit world and um, and not making and being an artist, being a cultural worker um, and not really making a living. 
you know, and, and I found myself single and older and reflecting on my life. Cause you know, when you're talking about having a purpose or a plan, I, I really think that it's hard to tell a story in advance. It's hard to tell a biography in advance, right? Here, here's what's going to happen in my life in 20 years. Um, you can really only tell your biography by looking behind you and seeing what happened. Um, everything else yeah. is sort of, uh, you know, sort of a, you know, an outline of what, what might happen or what you might do. And it can guide your choices, but it doesn't describe what happened. So as I'm kind of reflecting on my life, I'm like, wow, this is not what I had in mind at all. I, you know, I thought my life was going to be this way and this way and this way. And instead I'm, I'm a little older, I'm single and I'm on my own. And, uh, uh, you know, you know, I'm, uh, I just had to make a decision of how I was going to be safe. Yeah, I mentioned yeah. being a yoga teacher. One of my, you know, one of my yoga instructors said the fundamental human need is to is to feel safe, and I think I hit that place of saying I'm not safe, and in 20 uh-huh. years or 25 years when I need to stop working, I'm not, I'm really not going to be safe. I have to do something to make myself safe. So I enrolled in grad school, and I was all set to go and get a counseling degree at a university here in New Mexico, and. Then a friend took me to dinner and he said, I think you should go to law school. I said, I am too old and I am not smart enough to go to law school. And my friend <laughs> said, you are not too old and you're very smart and I'm not going to leave you alone until you sign up for the LSAT. So I signed up for the LSAT. I applied to law school and I, and surprisingly, <laughs> I got accepted. So the day I got the acceptance email from the law school, I, I looked at it and said, oh, I guess I'm going to law school. And so it, it it was never a you know he, you know here I am truth justice in the American way I'm going to just jump in and solve all of the problems and I, I didn't choose in law school I wanted to do contract law because I wanted to sit quietly in a cubicle with a desk that went up and down and a gym membership you know then I had that externship and I didn't love it. And I had been spent, I'd spent two years telling everybody, I am not going to be a litigator. I have fought my whole life. I will not be a litigator. Well, here I am. I'm a divorce lawyer and I'm a litigator. <laughs> but it's so, I mean, you saying that and from, from you know, the amount of time I've known you as well, you're very personable and social. And, um, you know, I couldn't imagine you just like sat at a desk going through contracts. And so, um yeah, I think that I think it's just funny again. It's another thing. And are you still friends with your friend who who told you to go to law? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people. <laughs> we, you know, <laughs> well, we and we were friends for you know that that my friend is my my friend. His name is John. We've been friends for forever. We've been friends a very long time. Um, you know, he saw me through making my first CD, and we we in, you know just had adventures together. It's been amazing. So I, I was just today reflecting on. The biggest gratitude of my life is probably having really long-term friendships, 40-year-long yeah. friendships, 45, maybe almost 50-year-long friendships. Uh, and those people, they get me, right? Because they've seen all the iterations of me. They just haven't heard the story and thought, wow, what a wacky kind of psychopathic life this guy has lived. They see the whole arc <laughs> of my story and be like, of course, we always knew you were going to, this is perfect for you. You're right exactly where you should end up. I think you're going to be great at this. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of funny. And, you know, and I, I couldn't see this for myself, right? I, I, I you know, you said I'm very personable and, and, and engaging and, and all those, those sorts of things. 
But I think we all also have a, an, a vision, uh, maybe an, an, an imaginary self that we think will be better than our current self. And I've always been so bombastic and I've always been such a change agent. You know, I, when I was a business consultant, I had two nicknames. One was the Velvet Hammer and the other was the Dredger. Because if it was, <laughs> there was something to find out, I was going to find it. You know, so I've always been that guy, but I had this story in my head that if I could just get a job as a, as a quiet contract lawyer in a little office with a desk that went up and down and a gym membership and, and, you know, I'd come in at nine and I'd leave at five and I'd have my weekends off. But in reality, that has never, ever been my story, right? There's nothing in my biography that says that's who I should be. And so I think being in my present moment and saying, oh, yeah, it turns out this is exactly who I was supposed to be. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, okay. So let's look at a bit at in terms of if people are thinking of career changes or yeah, those experiences. Because it's so, I mean, I think it's really cool, but there must have been points where it was terrifying and I'm, I'm sort of wondering about the practicalities, um, you know, of, of career changes and you, you kind of what you think the biggest challenges were, but I guess also what the biggest wins have been. Well, um, I, I think that my first, the first premise that I, I, I will re- reject <laughs> from that is the <laughs> idea of career changing, right? And I had a great mentor during law school, my first year. I I don't know why I call him a mentor. I met him one time. He changed my life. But he told me, you know, Dean, he said, Dean, his name is John Feldman. He's a a mediator here in in Albuquerque. And he said, you know, Dean, it's a mistake to think of law school as a departure point, that that's the place where everything changes, because now you have a law degree and you have a law license. It's all different. You're just you telling the same story with a different set of tools, a different set of arrows in the quiver. So what is your story? What have you been doing with your work life? And then just let me sit with that question for a minute. And in piecing it all together, I realized that my whole story, like from from being a, a, a historian in the military, really from fixing radar equipment, right? Taking something broken and making it and making it not broken. Um, writing reports about how things were and how we could do it better, um, t- being in an insurance company, taking um, you know somebody who didn't feel safe, didn't have coverage to a place where they were fine, taking employees to a place where they didn't know stuff to where they knew stuff, um, being an auditor, taking people, uh, you know, I, w- I worked in a bank. So being an internal auditor at a bank, finding those places where things were a little broken and helping them get better being a yoga teacher, how do you get from this pose to that pose, a business consultant doing behavioral change, how do we take the company from this position to that position? And now as a divorce lawyer, how do I take somebody whose life is kind of broken right now and help them not only solve that legal problem, but set them up to be more successful with their life? And I realized that my whole story has been about trying to help people move from this to that, from how it was how it could be. And when I think about it that way, I haven't had any career changes. I've been doing the yeah. same job for, for 40 years. 
Yeah, I, I've never really thought about career change in that way before, and and what you're saying completely makes sense. And it's it's all fixing problems just in a kind of different way. And this is where well, I think it, it'll be interesting in the future of how like skills will be more focused on than you know, I think we got to a stage where it was it's very, you know, kind of what's on paper focused rather than yeah, you know, I think your experience in the academic environment is so different to your your practical kind of workings, you know, day to day. Um and your you you know, anecdote on that person, there are so many instances that people give you a, a sort of side of advice that you don't have much interaction with but actually you know, is hugely impactful for you, I think, in your your overall life. Well, you know, and, and I called him not long ago. <laughs> I don't know, I'd talked to him in years. I'm like, <laughs> hi, it's Dean McBride. You probably don't remember me, but you changed my life, which is sort of how I approach any conversation, right? So uh, it was great to reconnect. Something you said when we were kind of leading up to that is you talked about having fear or fear of change, but if you feel like you've been doing this job and it's a continuation of what you're doing, all you're doing is moving to a different desk. You're, you're, yeah. you're learning a set of new skills. You get a promotion. You know, maybe I could just think of every time I've done this was getting a promotion within the same job. So it's not to say it's not scary, but if I can contextualize it as being a part of my story, not a change in my story. So if you, you know, I, I think that, people who are um, younger than me, they're experiencing a, a work-life situation that is, that is different than mine. The, the cultural um, inputs are different. The expectations are different. The level of emotional intelligence that's required is completely different. But, uh, and, and I think, especially right now as we're talking, we're in the middle of this coronavirus crisis, right? So people are seeing massive shifts in their life. And uh, I think if you identify with what's happening to you externally, it's going to feel like an earthquake. But if you can contextualize what's happening um, to your own story, I think it's, it's a better way to find how to make that water run through the rock. Absolutely. No, that's useful. That's really, that's really good. And uh, I think it's just, you know, it keeps me thinking and um, and processing, and yeah, especially at the moment when you you're trying to evaluate, you know, what's important to you, especially when you're restricted. Um, you know, I think uh, I think that's that's really sage advice. So I I suppose kind of I I would guess that you sort of feel overall you you're pleased you made these these switches and that that your journey has been sort of what it is, um, you know, it seems like you've, you've taken things from, from the previous roles you've done um, that have shaped you, you know, into kind of the attorney you are today and the work that you're doing. Um, but, yeah, was there, is there anything that you've reflected on that you think is, I suppose, additional advice or good or bad that you, you know, think is important for people to know? Um. Advice. I, I feel so so incompetent in giving people advice, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't seem to stop me. But I don't know that I should feel good about how I do it. Um, you know, tomorrow's going to come. 
I, I think that whatever's happening today, it's not going to be this way tomorrow. It's going to be something else. Um, life, life is full of changes, and those changes can be scary or they can be opportunities. Um, I think that you're going to have to go through the day anyway. So go through it uh, imagining that it's going to be okay. You, you know, if you're having a terrible day and everything seems hard and you'll never figure it out, you'll never know what's going on, you're never going to be smart enough. Okay, so that's how you're feeling. May or may not be true. But if you accept as reality that there will be more hours and more days and more years, and, and it, it's going to be fine. Uh, I have a... Uh, someone in my life who always says, what are they going to do? Take away your birthday? And I mean, really, what, what <laughs> what's going to happen? What's the worst that can happen? In, you know, really, yeah. e- even now as a lawyer, I can imagine the worst case scenario, but I'm still going to have a birthday next year. And my birthday is the best day ever. So that's <laughs> going to happen. You yeah. know, so I, well, I don't know I mean, if, that's, if that's good advice or not, but that's what I no, think. It's, it's, you're going to have... I'm going to have to live through this day, you know, I mean, you know, and, and, and taking that optimistic view, right? This day is going to happen. Tomorrow is going to happen. The day after is going to happen. So I, I guess just, just have it, have that day. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think it certainly sounds like, uh, you know, if the law doesn't work out, you could, uh, you could definitely be a therapist. So (laughs) that could be the next, the next thing. Um, no, that's that's really great advice, Dan. I think that's I've, I've really enjoyed hearing you know your story and journey and and everything. And so, um, you know, there's a space now where I would invite people to ask. You know, you can ask me a couple of questions about yeah, my experience in this space or anything that you kind of ever wondered about anything really. Okay, what is behind the OK Boomer thing, and how do we get past it? <laughs> Gosh, I, I didn't coin that phrase. I mean, I think it's just. Um, well, what do I feel about this? I think it's. I think it comes from frustration. You know, I think um, when I think about these things, and uh, you know, actually, it's quite funny. Just, I mean, not that all boomers are Karens, uh, as as the, as the phrase is being coined at the moment, but. I was watching. Let's actually let's actually go with the assumption that they're not. <laughs> Just for the sake of this conversation, <laughs> they are. And our friendship. So I was let's watching. go for the, for the sake of our friendship. Let's just let's just do that. <laughs> but I was watching on Instagram like a, a page that was just all these people kind of going crazy and and you know things like that at, at stuff and you know CVS or something. But um, like, I mean, I think I think it all originates from this kind of with some people and why it's just become okay boomer is this um sort of reluctance to change or presumptions that things are the same as they were and i I think you're the antithesis of this actually because you you know the change that you've gone through and the, the fact that you identify that things move and and develop and and everything like that but i think it's um yeah i think it's funny i think there are you know family members of mine that sort of forget how difficult it is to say buy property or do things like that, you know, and it's not like it was sort of 40 years ago or whatever the timeline is. I <laughs> just know that much better, but, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's those sort of things. And I think it's, I think it really then kind of dives deeper into, 
you know, it's again, it's just about human connectivity and, and empathy and trying to make things better and solve problems. Um, and I think that's where it sort of comes to a point where, you know, people get frustrated and they say, that's it, well, you're just not going to listen, so... Okay, Boomer. <laughs> well, so can I take advantage of this moment to talk to millennials about Okay, Boomer? Is that be okay? <laughs> so, please do. Yeah, so you are the voice of millennial, the millennial globe, Nathan. So I hope you will you know, be a, <laughs> an ambassador for that. I, that's my expectation. <laughs> Presenting Look. every millennial in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know what? It's not going to be so long until, until people are saying, okay, millennial. You know, That's okay, true. okay, okay Gen Z, okay, Gen Z, whatever. You know, we said that about our parents, and our parents said it about their parents. And at the end of the day, I think the empathy needs to flow both ways because um, I think that younger people are, they're afraid we're not going to get out of the way of their, their life and leave these jobs. I think that's one thing. I think they're um, they're afraid that we're always going to be telling them what to do. And we're always going to be saying, this should be easy. It wasn't that hard for me. I think there's that. But there's also the boomers who we're afraid of being, of, of being pushed out of our jobs or not being relevant, of technology moving so fast we can't keep up, right? So I think if everybody could appreciate that we're all operating from that space of, uh, you know, there's, there's a fundamental fear that we're not going to be safe, right? And realize that our safety doesn't come from upsetting somebody else's story. And I say the same thing to my 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 boomer friends. You know, uh, any uh, you know people in your generation who talk about the next generation. It's the same thing. We're all operating from a place of uncertainty, and the best place for that to to be solved is to find the certainty create the relationships, create the, the networks and the mentoring, um, find out how the boomers can help you. And for boomers, get on board, like learn how to use the thing. Okay. Just click it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> just click it. You're not going to blow up, you know, the, uh, you know, Eastern Europe, it's going to be fine. So, um, you know that, so, but I can tell you, it doesn't feel good to have someone say, okay, boomer to you. <laughs> yeah. I do want to say that it does not feel it does not feel great, and I just I feel like on behalf of my people, I need to speak up and say that it does not feel great. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, I definitely think this could be another another podcast debate. I think you've moved the needle slightly, um, so you know I commend you on that. And uh, yeah, I think we could we could talk about this for for, for a while. But uh, no, I do I do understand what you're saying. I mean, I think it's. You know, it's it's become a, a like a thing, a bit of cliche, whatever. But um, I think it's it's valid points on both on both parts. So yeah, we can we can leave it at that. Um, and and your other question, what's your second question? Oh, I have to come with a second question. Oh, you don't um, have to. Or we can continue on on the same topic. Well, I, let me just pull a second question together here for a second because I know you can edit this out. <laughs> It'll sound really <laughs> seamless and amazing. Um, yeah, how can how can we help you? How can how can how can my generation help you? What do you need? I think 
<laughs> yeah, that's really, that's like stumbled me. Um, I don't think it's anything particularly radical. I think that's the thing. And I, I also personally don't feel like I haven't got those things. I think that's the, the other aspect of that. Um, you know, I think I'm, I'm fortunate somebody who, you know, kind of has the mindset, if you don't ask, you don't get, and you just got to keep plugging away at things. So, but you and I had an experience where we exchanged challenges and my challenge was a very, you know, I think to use your phrase, very 60 year ago challenge, right. To pick up the phone and call people. <laughs> and would you have come up with that approach without some outsider um, input from a totally different direction coming at you? Right. And I think, so I think it, it's about, being in an environment where you can push each other in a really constructive way. Like I'm a really big fan and interested in reverse mentorship because I think that as well as traditional mentorship, which I think is hugely important, I've had some, you know, amazing mentors in my career so far um, and really value those. But I also think you can sort of back to what we talked about earlier around culture and change and everything like that, um, you know, to progress. I think seeing these, reverse mentors where you have, um, you know, kind of younger people advising very senior leadership or partners or, you know, boards of companies can actually facilitate change in a great way that is great for everybody in the world. So I just, you know, I, I guess what I think we need in, in, in some sense is just that continued openness and continued embracing and realizing that the status quo isn't always right and we should challenge and change things in both ways like you know it's not all millennials are the only right ones um you know going back to that challenge that we did it was it was hugely insightful um and i think yeah i think that's that's overall important all right those are my two questions thank you thank you for being on my show today <laughs> well uh there we go well thank you thank you dan it was it was really great hearing your experience and uh i appreciate your time and uh yeah stay well and stay safe well you stay in touch as well let's not be strangers and if people want to reach out and say hello i'd love to hear from people you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn uh, as Dean McBride, D-E-I-A-N-M-C-B-R-Y-D-E. Uh, you can also hop online at McBride Law, M-C-B-R-Y-D-E-L-A-W.com. I'd love to hear from people, and I hope to keep hearing from you and find out how you're doing with all of your adventures. Absolutely. Maybe you'll get a million calls as well. People will call you, not use the website, right? Fantastic. Thank you for listening to Millennial Murmurs. Join us next time as we help you take steps to better navigate your legal career.